want to thank you, Lord. You've been so good. Help me, church. You've been so Invitation Psalm, page Ah! Uh -huh. 
what makes me whole. Sing the song. His grace reaches me. Yes, his grace reaches me. And will last through it. Hey! 
has to know that his grace reacheth me. Wonderful, wonderful indeed. If I didn't know any better, I'd say Bradshaw can sing. <laughs> appreciate those songs and appreciate your participation. And we're just happy to have you with us today. Good to have the Beasley family in town for a family reunion. All of them and some of them are worshiping with us this morning. We appreciate them. Some have gone on back home, but we are thankful to have them. Some people hanging around after the uh, latest conference uh, to uh, bless our assembly. And we appreciate your presence and uh, your participation ever so much. And the uh, seat and the red carpets rolled out for you anytime you want to come to this congregation. We appreciate the men's ministry and how it is revolutionizing the life of our church in, in significant ways. And uh, we uh, welcome that very much. We're looking forward to our zone program getting started and on the way, and we look forward to spending some time with the Sims Avenue Church this afternoon in their fellowship meeting. <clears throat> this is the first time I recall uh, my uh, making an adjustment in my sermon at the last minute after it had been published in the bulletin. And I, uh, through a relationship and study and thought, uh, made this adjustment this morning, not speaking on the parents and children, but speaking on uh, why I fail. I think there's a, a profound text relating to that, and I think it's just where we are at this point where we're dealing with those kind of issues and preaching and all things ought to be relevant to the life of the congregation at that moment in which the sermon is delivered. So I, I take full responsibility for so exercising my responsibility and uh, your tremendously powerful reception and encouragement to it. And again, I say we are very happy to have all of our visitors with us and the participation of the membership of this church and uh, God's continued blessings. According to Matthew 17, 14 through 21, from whence my text uh, comes today, I hope to be able to challenge the hearer to search himself and herself, to search for why and how we fail as Jesus' disciples. Now, it's no doubt that we do from time to time and not as successful as we ought to be and that had been a part of the history of the church and men in their relationship with God. But I think we seldom sit down and take note as to why that's going on. And we are favored with a text where uh, the disciples right flat out failed uh, to do what they were asked to do and according to what Jesus had authorized them to do. So the problem is not that there was not an expectation that they should have been able to fulfill. There's no question but that they failed in that. 
and were excited enough about their failure to ask Jesus why we failed. So I think that's a, a, a perfect setting for us to look at today. And certainly I, I know that I will not provide all of the answers, but just lay out some things for us to think about. According to the text that's before us, Matthew 17, 14 through 21, a certain man came out of the multitude that was facing Jesus. He came to Jesus complaining that his disciples had failed to end their effort to heal his lunatic son. And he was also vexed with what had happened. The man's words were, I brought my son to you. Because your disciples could not heal or cure him. I brought my son to you because the disciples were unable to perfect the cure. Now, to me, that's a hard passage to look at. And I'm going to say that I've wondered about it all of my life from childhood on. What is couched in this text? And like perhaps many of you, not finding a reasonable answer for myself, I tend to have written it off. It's just saying, well, it required a miracle. And therefore, I'm not caught up in that because I don't do miracles. Uh, etc. But I think this text is to me. I think everything in Scripture has relevancy to me and to us. And we have not wanted to look at texts that certifies our failure. And therefore we continue to fail. But as far as this man who came out of the multitude was concerned, the disciples should have been able to heal his son. That's the way they saw it. he saw it. That people outside of our fellowship, outside of our church, expecting things from us that they have a right to expect. We fail to deliver. And many times without asking why we failed. But if God so blesses me, one of the things I'd like to see us as a strong, powerful church who can look at its failures and its shortcomings and try to find an answer why. Jesus, with the receipt of that information, himself showed frustration. Just look at your text closely. He was frustrated with his disciples because they could not heal the boy. Now, if Jesus is frustrated with them because they did not heal him, they could have and should have been able to heal him. But they failed. The man thought he could heal them. That's why he brought his son to them. They had a reputation in the community that suggested they could heal people like Jesus did. And Jesus was so frustrated with them that the good book says he rebuked them because they couldn't heal that boy. 
and he was further frustrated, and he called them faithless. Now, Jesus, Jesus is talking to his 12 people. He called them faithless. And he said they belong to a perverse generation. And he turned again, brethren, and said, How long shall I suffer you? Now, we preachers think that we get worn out with these congregations and leadership think we get worn out. Uh, you've got predecessors. Jesus has just about had it with these disciples. And he asked them the question, how much longer have I got to keep working with you and you not being successful? And then he ordered the child to be brought to him. I fall in that category in terms of it could not be done and fall short of really serving my Lord with the strength that I ought to serve. The scripture has relevancy for me because I too am frustrated with my ministry, with my ministry, with this church, preaching for this church for years and years, and people still don't do it. And sometimes I ask, how long? And somebody says, too long. <laughs> how long must I suffer you? That was another occasion before I uh, proceed further on this one. A man with a withered hand was brought to Jesus. And, uh, and those standing around Jesus were Sabbatarians. And uh, they had a program that you couldn't do work on the Sabbath. And they called what Jesus was about to do work. And uh, Jesus says, uh, in effect, must I heal this man? And they wouldn't answer. Jesus said to them, stretch out your hand, and he healed him. Because the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath into a ticklish area that I will not penetrate or massage at this time. But there's times in our lives when the little laws we live by are inferior to the purpose for which we exist. His men bending over backwards trying to keep the Sabbath and letting the poor man suffer. That's not what this is about, Jesus is saying. So Jesus says, bring the child to me. Then he rebuked the devil and the spirit and cured the child. Jesus exercised power that he had to heal that child, which the disciples should have had and found out they didn't have when they used to be in calling, the child remained sick. Or, 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 or as, as a lunatic. After Jesus had healed that child, the disciples, interestingly enough, and I like it's a powerful point in our message, in that text, why could we not heal that child? Which again comes back and says, the disciples think they should have been able to heal him. And I'm, I'm, I'm packing as much together on this uh, to make it irrefutable as I possibly can. 
The man thought he could heal his son. The disciples thought they could heal him. Jesus thought they should have been able to heal him, but the child remained unhealed. And therefore, the disciples want to know, what did you do that we can't do? Not like that, because a lot of that goes on in the church. And one's ability to do some things that another cannot do creates jealousy and envy. Brother Hershey, why are you more powerful talking to these people and getting that done? I can't. That ain't where the Lord ordered it. How deep am I in Christ? How deep are you in Christ? How deep are you in God that God can transmit his power to that point through you? They just want ready. When you get right down to it, they did not have what it took. They had a loose faith, a faith that believes in faith. They did not have the real relationship with God, where God could do his will through them like he was doing through Jesus Christ. And therefore they ask him why. The community thought that these disciples would have been able to heal the son, but they were not. So there they out there representing God and can't because of something's wrong with them. Here we are in this city, in this place, representing God. A lot of stuff we ought to be able to get done, we don't get it done and can't get it done because we're short in faith. Now, I know that bears down on you, good folk. That's why I love you. Because you're able to take what the text is saying. Strong backage by the, by the text. And they did not know why. Jesus, the disciples took Jesus to the side. And I like that little drama there. They pull him off to the side and say, hey, man, how, 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 come, how come we can't do that? The answer is, low faith, insufficient faith. And it's a hard passage, brother, because what God wills his church to do, the church can do it if it has sufficient faith. That's what he's saying. Think about yourselves personally. I think about myself personally. We think about ourselves what is it within the range of your capabilities that you can't get it done for some unknown reason? And God will still perpetuate. If all of us fail, God's will remains in place. And you and I have got to understand that. We don't, through our neglect and choices, change God's will. We do not, through our self-imposed incompetences, change God's order. It remains constant. It's the same. The shortfalls of the disciples had no effect on the boy getting cured. And he remained sick because of their low faith.
No commitment. Insufficient commitment. And Jesus is digging at the deeper issue here. Not just saying I believe so I can be baptized. But believing so I can be an instrument of God that I can build such strong faith that if I say to this mountain, be moved out of your place, it moves. Now even as I speak, I don't fully understand that. But I do understand that what I don't understand is God's will. And my limitation on conception and perception does not limit God's will. I chose this text because it is irrefutable that the disciples have obviously failed in an area they ought to have been successful. You can't refute that. Even the disciples agreed they had messed up. And the mission reckoned a reason laid beyond them. Are we drenched in church and our life with Christ enough? How can we, when we can't gather on time, really pick up on this spirit stuff? How can we, when we're dragging in, into our responsibilities, whether it's here somewhere, God does not act in those capacities. Even if this church votes 100% against what God's will, God will stays. You are powerless. I am without the strength to justify, or not to justify, but to change or adjust God's will. I remember some years ago, just a brief repass, I was lecturing on marriage and divorce out somewhere in Texas. I was at Abilene Christian University, it comes to me on the spot. And what are the kind of things you do? And I told them I thought the best thing to do is to take divorce out of the language. That's not an option. That's not an option I have. What that does to me, it puts me in the fence with the woman, pulls a barbed wire fence around me, I got to get along with her and stay in there. As long as we think there's some alternative that's short of fulfillment, we buy it. It is God's will that the success of my marriage, my life, my parenthood lies here. It's not out there somewhere else. It's not out there in my wife, whom I push to the side of my children, whom I uh, uh, have abandoned. The answer lies here. And pray hear me well, folk, and obey. The answer to our situation at Simpson Street is right here. It was with the disciples, and it didn't change it. They failed. You often heard me say, Barack Obama says that we are the fulfillment of our dreams. Man, I like that. He says some stuff I don't agree with. I ain't never seen anybody disagree with anything he said. 
But that concept is translatable. He's realistic. If you want to do better, get up and go to work, save your money, make your own place. Don't walk down the streets laying around all day doing what you want to do and then begging me for money at the end of the day. The answer for you is not in my pocket, it's in yours. We are the solution to our problems. As long as we do not solve them, they remain unsolved. Now, brother, I'm looking at some of y'all, and y'all looking strange at me. I'm going to look right back at you, strange at you. Because it's a great congregation because we've learned how to disagree and, and, and not lack things and still go on. But I want to move us an inch beyond that. Recognize we don't agree and get right. That's what my family needs. That's what this church needs to make a life better. Kind of like Dr. Robinson having used to us as instructor at Morris Brown College. I was taking some courses over there more than two or three decades ago. Now I hate to admit. And uh, he was saying, one of the problems with young folk is, is that young folk have reached a point where they think if they can admit something went on, or they don't like it, or they can explain their transgressions, he said they're foolish enough to think that justifies them. Are young people engaging in premarital sex? Prophylactics or not? You know, the fact that you can explain why you do it, why you buy the, 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 the contraceptives and all that, that does not change God's law. Doesn't change it one iota of a stricken. You are still obligated to contain yourself as according to God's will. And I just want to try to emphasize that because sometimes you can get key things, key points in life. And what we preachers are always trying to do is plant those points that people can tie themselves around and come back and have to pass by that one. And it makes you do a lot of thinking. God's law does not change according to my whim and will. So uh, Jesus went on to say, such curing as this child needs calls for an extra strong measure of prayerability and fasting. Now, you're reaching deep into the gutter. You're reaching deep. You don't pray enough. That's what Jesus is saying. The reason these disciples fail, they have a short prayer life. And when I say that, I don't mean replace it with long, unending prayers. I'm not giving out to nobody nowhere. That's not, that's not what it's about. It's you live a life of prayer. And as the song says, God, take control. Let me back off of my life and let God take over and let's go forward. Then he added something else that I spent a large part of my life unjustifiably trying to explain away. Fast! 
I grew up in the church. You mentioned about fasting. They immediately turned you out and gave you to the Pentecostals. And, and though I were a part of that, I always wondered why did Jesus fast if we can't fast? It was a discipline to the self in favor of the objective. And the disciples weren't able to do that to the extent that they should have. I don't mean fast 15 minutes. <laughs> kind of like old Jackie Gleason used to say. He, 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 he told the audience one night on there, we were looking at you, say, I fast every day between meals. <laughs> Some kind of that way we try to handle it. We, we fast between meals. We diet between the meals. And, and, and you got to get... Get rid of those little chip shot answers. But the thing that blazingly hits me in the face is that these boys failed on something that Jesus presumed they were capacitated to do and could handle. It was a part of their calling. This the disciples should have been able to do. They could not do it without the resources and the power that included them to reach out for God into the life of others. We similarly fail to perform God's work in which others succeed because they got stuff that we don't have. They'll make sacrifices for the kingdom and for other souls. I, I know some people you walk up and have a, have a need or something, they go right in their pocket and get it out and never say a thing world to a church about it. God put it in their pocket, yeah, I'll take care of that right here. Some of us could never do that. We, money gets in our way. And we love the praises of men more than the praises of God. It's just so much we do that make us midget disciples. It's just midgets. We, we, we don't grow up and be that emboldening and imposing life where God radiantly shines. And these disciples were a part of that. I must learn how to encourage others and be a part of their life. I was telling Brother O'Gwen yesterday, he was kind of talking about this text some and about a, another incident. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a large family, and I see the same thing happening in the church. Grew up in a large family. And uh, one of the things about being in a good-sized family, you run into different levels of talent. And I had a younger brother that I was next to who, who uh, was... Uh, Successful, we'd go out in, in the fields and, and, and hunt and find eggs. Because we had chickens, they laid eggs everywhere. And for some reason, that guy, was, he could find more, more, more egg nests in, in 15 minutes than I could all day. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like that. I wanted to be one. He ran up, ran up, ran up, ran up, ran up to mother one time and, and explained to the mother we found these eggs. And mother thought I found them. And, 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 and Harold said, no, mother, I found you. She said, boy, hush your mouth. You know him. I ain't said nothing. I, I took the credit for that. 
just wanting to be able, and sometimes that's what drives us. We cannot, as Christians, be driven by success modes, but doing the will of God. And that's what makes the big difference. I hope that somehow I've spoken to you in some meaningful way, and that you will begin to ask the question for growth and perpetuity reasons as to why you didn't get it done. And allow God to provide an answer. We have a big question before you now. Are you willing to accept Jesus Christ as Lord in your life? Make him number one. Are you willing to exercise that power? And I'm going to say to you about that. You got it in you to do it just like the disciples had it in them to be able to do it. And you may make the choice, and the choice may be the wrong one, but God's will will forever remain the same. Based upon the challenge that I've tried to issue you of God's will and God's word, are you willing today to step out on the promise and relationship with God to see me in a powerful relationship where you can be a resource for all God wills to do in your life in this world? You believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to follow through on that? Yes, I believe, I know that, but are you willing to act on it? One writer has said it's a serious thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's a challenge to me, and it's frightening every day. Is God asking me to do something that I'm stubbornly refusing to consider? And am I stubbornly, am I exercising that stubbornness by putting it off? Scheduling it for a later date that I'll never get around to. Can you afford to be flat, honest with God about your life? And if you are, what is your reason for not obeying him? Is that you don't think that you owe God obedience? What is the reason? Why do you linger? Why do you stand and operate at a guilty distance? What hinders you from confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and putting him on in the water of a grave of baptism and arising therefrom, walk with him in a new life. You are the answer to your prayers. Not all of them, but a whole lot of them. You are the answers to the life and the ministry of shortfalls of this church. Not all of them, but enough of them. What is it that I owe God today that I'm not giving him? Has nothing to do with the offering plate. But his impingement on my life. As I said in Bible study this morning, had a brother used to preach out in uh, Hapeville, Texas, Hapeville, Georgia, out by the airport. And I remember one Sunday evening we were meeting more then across integration lines than we are now. And um, Obey said, well, one thing you're going to face in the judgment. God going to know how many souls have you saved. And man, my number ain't as high as I think it ought to be. I appreciate so much uh, a, a, a few months ago, Bates was saying, he, uh, Russell Bates, he said, I'm very disturbed about the fact that I'm not leading nobody to Christ. You've got to think that way. 
successful marriage, you gotta think that way. What makes it? That's what relieves me of my obligation. But how do I fulfill? I preached a sermon last week on creativity in thought. God gives you these assignments. You ought to be creative enough to figure them out. I didn't have money for my kids and my children to go to school, but I found out a way. I became creative and found those funds. You know, I didn't have, when I left going, to, going, going off to college, I never thought I'd even go to college. I was creative enough and people working with me to get that done. We need to use that same creativity in our relationship with God. Our problem is we sit back and think God just ought to do everything for us. Just like the disciples, they didn't have the guts and the determination and insight that was required to be able to perform that miracle. It ain't God, it's us. And I'm asking you to deal with that challenge in a responsible way. If you're here to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. Brother Bradshaw is going to lead us in our hymn of invitation as we all stand together, if there be one or more, if the elders come before us, we ask that you come. Heart that's weary to end in a load of care. You are soul that can rest from the burdens you bear. Do you know, my Jesus, and do you know, my friend, have you heard he loves you and that he will abide till the Where is your heart, O pilgrim? What does your life reveal? Who is your call for comfort when not but sorrow you feel? And do you know, my Jesus, and do you know, my friend, have you heard that he loved you? 